Welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. This is my second week of solo hosting, uh, but Darren will be back next week, so you don't need to worry. And as it turns out, today's guest, I was thinking about it, she is one of the first people in the sort of Irish music scene that Darren and me met when we started hanging out together. And we hadn't even thought about this project. So to actually, a year and a half later or two years later, be sitting down and talking to today's guest, uh, Sarah Wade, was really great. Uh, Sarah runs the Boxwood Festival. She's a regular around the scene in Melbourne and a multi-instrumentalist. And as you'll hear, she's the first person on the Blarney Pilgrims podcast to play the Scottish Small Pipes. So I think we're just going to get straight into that. So here is Sarah Wade. Sarah, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thanks very much, and thanks for doing the project. Um, what, what was that you, you played to start with there? Uh, that was a selection of tunes played here on the Scottish Small Pipes, starting off with She Moved Through the Fair, which yeah. is a really popular Irish song. Then I played a Danish song called which basically means in the depths of the forest there's calm and peace. 
Uh, and I chose that because it was one of the first piping tunes I ever learned on the pipes. And then moved into a few Scottish border tunes, three two hornpipes, so God Berwick Johnny and We Totem Fog. Right, right. So um, uh, we'll talk a little bit. We've, we've not had the small pipes on, on the show yet, so <laughs> no. you're, you're the first to bring in the small pipes. So where, where did those pipes come from? Where did you get those? They're basically a native instrument to the border region of Scotland. Yeah. So kind of north of Hadrian's Wall and south of Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, they're kind of like a smaller cousin of the Great Highland Bagpipes, mm. which you more likely find up in the highlands of Scotland. So essentially they're really similar in terms of the scale that they play. There's the same nine notes, the same Mixolydian modes based on there. Um, and, they, and they have that um, similarity to Northumbrian pipes too. Yeah, right? that in that there's the, the air flow comes from bellows, which is under my right elbow, mm. and then the air is passed through to a bag, which is under my left elbow, and then through to the reeds, there's a chanter, and then there's a few drones mm. there as well. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. I, I remember going to see... Are you familiar with Catherine Tickell? I love Tickell, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> all right. So I, remember, I went to see her like years ago, yeah. and, I'd, and I'd not actually heard... Um, it's Northumbrian pipe she plays, isn't it? She does, yeah. Yeah, and and I was just blown away. This yeah. is, um, um, yeah. She was, she was kind of one of. I, I have the impression that she was one of the first people to really popularize those those pipes. Yeah, and she was including just, using them in movie scores too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. good on her. What is so. what is the what, what am I looking at as the major differences are listening to for Northumbria pipes versus small pipes? Are they? Well, what, I really they don't sound know. very similar to me. The Northumbrians sound very similar to these, right? They are, they do. Um, the main difference, I'd say, is that Northumbrians are closed finger systems. So what that means is you have to open a hole to get the sound, which gives it a staccato pop kind of mm-hmm. sound, whereas these ones here are an open finger approach, so there's more legato, well, smooth kind of sound about them. Yeah, okay. Mm. I didn't know that. So. <laughs> also, Northumbrian, you find keys on them, and they're kind of pitched in sort of F and a bit. <laughs> Whereas Scottish small pipes, um, commonly you find with an A chanter, but also you, it's quite common to see a D chanter as well. Mm. I think yeah. I get most of that. Right, and, and then I've I, only recently started to listen to more and more pipes, so that's why I'll, I'll okay. have a few more questions yeah. for you. It's really just a. Well, the other question would be, in terms of fingering then, would be, like, how does the fingering with this overlap with something like the Ulin pipes? Right? So the Ulin pipes are the, more like the Irish-style pipes, yeah. So the Ulin pipes have got full two octaves, whereas I've just got nine notes. Um, they, too, have more of an open finger approach, except for their low, their lowest note, they need to cap it on their knee there, yeah. and then to make that sound, they, they lift that off to make that airflow come through. That I don't know if you've noticed that. I have. I've been obsessed with it. It's my it's, favourite it's thing like, in the world. It's awesome. What are they doing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that little yeah. piece of leather that they... Yeah. Just, you know, that is just incredible. Yeah. So the other big difference about the Illum pipes is that they have regulators as well, so that's it's basically like having a whole church organ on your lap. <laughs> Um, yeah, they're amazing. So, so what attracted you to these? To, you know, to play the Scottish small pipes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so actually, I came to them via the Great Highland Bagpipes, the big ones, and it was never my intention to take up playing the bagpipes. I thought, wow, what a ridiculous notion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was because I, um, I got accepted to be an exchange student in and. It was to be in Denmark and Scandinavia, which was the most exciting thing as a 17-year-old. 
but daunting as well. And I thought, how am I going to get to meet people? How am I going to integrate and learn the language and make friends and find my way? And so it was in the days when the internet was really new. And uh, so it was pretty exciting to hop on the internet and look up something so far away. And what seemed to have a website, not just a good one, but one at all, um, was the, the local pipe band at the town I was going to be living in. And I thought, oh, how crazy. I'll, I'll just I'll email the pipe band and I'll ask them what other music things I can get involved with in the town. And they wrote back and they said, well, we're not sure, but you're very welcome to take up the bagpipes. That's great. So they, and it was only because they had a working, functioning website that you decided that is classic. <laughs> yeah, and I actually wrote an email yeah. back in the early days and got a response from overseas. And did you have a, a bit of musical background? Obviously, you yeah. would have had something, right? So what were yeah. you dabbling in then? So during school time, I was doing... Um, recorder and mm. clarinet so I started the recorder like every other nine-year-old the difference being that I've taken it through to an adult um, but clarinet was otherwise my teenage instrument yeah, yeah. so I, I did end up joining the local concert band the city band in the town as well and had a great time with them but it actually was a pipe band that was way more fun and they took me all over Europe on trips and they took me under my wing and they taught me my bagpipe lessons in the Danish language. So, so what was that journey like? So take us through from when you when you sent the email, you received the response to say, yeah, come and have a play. What what was the what happened? I said, oh, well, this is our address. We meet on Wednesday nights here, and it was this sort of weird basement place. And you know what a basement smells like at the best of times. It's musty and dank and <laughs> all the trimmings. Where, where was this? Uh, it's in a town called Holbeck, which is about one hour west of Copenhagen mm-hmm. in Denmark, yeah. And uh, so, so I got there in the depths of winter, actually. It was January when I arrived, and it was more cold than I've ever experienced because I'm West Australian. So at the time, I'd, I'd gone from 40-degree January heat to <laughs> five max. Anyway, <clears throat> um, got got there on a Wednesday night, and... And, and thought, this is strange, there's, there's nobody around. I'd, I'd been specifically invited to come in on this particular Wednesday night and there was no one around. And so, and so I walked home, and it was actually nearly snowing that night, so I walked home about an hour journey in the snow, kind of deflated, confused, and still probably jet-lagged and <laughs> naive and all things. And, um, and my host father at the time said, oh, don't be ridiculous, come on, we'll try again. So he took me down and, and then there they all were. They were coming back and they were all in their kilts and they were just been playing at a gig and so they were heightened with the, with, with the success of it and yeah. everything. And, oh, hello, here's the Australian girl, come in, come in. And they were just cracking open a few beers and started kind of sitting down to have a bit of a bagpipe jam. And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> bagpipe jam. I don't know if I've ever heard of bagpipe yeah, jam before. Yeah, is that a t- thing? Very tasty. Yeah. <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> great on your toast. <laughs> uh, so, um, so that was it. They said, well, we're, we're off to a competition in Copenhagen on the weekend. Are you coming? And, and well, I, I guess I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So how long was it before they had an instrument in your hand? Yeah, you start off with this thing called a practice chanter. Mm-hmm. So they gave me one of those pretty quickly which was just delightful. Yeah. And uh, they waived the first quarter of fees or something like that, which, again, was just delightful. And a recorder, yeah. does that translate? Or am I just uh, being... Yeah, yes and no. Like, no, not really. But I think, though, that I had some kind of level of 
recorder intuition or wind instrument intuition there mm-hmm. so it wasn't probably a big deal to switch from the fingering point of view but the it was more the music and playing without a piece of paper in front of you and the whole thing about the band and tuning up the instrument and well that I mean that comes later when you actually get onto the whole the whole instrument yeah, yeah. that's it's almost like a, a fitness kind of requirement actually it's it's a whole other thing what do you mean by that ah oh, well the blowing and the pushing and the bumping and right the, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the actual physicality the physicality of shifting of, yeah. the air around yeah 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 so, um, what, what, what were you doing for? Were you studying in Denmark at the time? I was an exchange, exchange student. So yeah. you were going to school. I, was, I did, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we were involved in music in any way that way with school. Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, yeah, I joined up the classroom music stream, and that was a really great way to make friends because music is just so um, direct and international language. So when I was really struggling on the language front to start with, there was still yeah. a common language there with with music. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the um, the pipes influence in Denmark? Is it just that particularly particular town? What's the connection? Yeah, well, it's not so very far away from Scotland, is it? But actually, when they first arrived and they said, "Oh, you're from Australia. You must be a really good piper already," and they were telling me all about really great makers in Australia and really good scene here and Victoria Police Pipe Band and West Australian Police Pipe Band, particularly Victoria, who was achieving international standard. Yeah. at the time uh, composers so a couple of tune writers here who are Australian kicking goals um, and I was like uh, no <laughs> I don't know about any of this <laughs> so uh, yeah for sure in Denmark it's it's not either it's not a big scene either really so yeah. it's pretty niche and so what you get is super passionate people who are really keen on doing what they do I love the fact that it's a quite a niche quite a um, well it's not a technologically Advance. You think of things who are pushing the innovation limit. You're not thinking pipers, but that's not for me. Top of mind. But they're the people that had the website that was working. That yeah, yeah. To, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there a tune or? Yeah. Let me um, let me just play a really standard pipe band tune, um, sort of what you call a four-four march in the tradition. Um, originally, of course, it would have been a Scottish song, but then when it gets converted into the pipe band scene, it becomes a march. So it's just a classic. It's called A Man's a Man for all that. Lovely, a man's a man for all that. So you say that's, you're familiar. Well, that's that's the air of a of a Burns song. You'll have to. Uh, the rank is but the guinea stamp. Put a it man's in. a man for all that. It's a great song of um, egalitarianism and 
Yeah. It was sung at the opening of the Scottish Parliament by Sheena Wellington, um, this famous Scottish singer, in, when the Scottish Parliament reopened for the first time. Like, how long ago that was? 15 years ago or something? Um, and it's amazing because the... Uh, I've actually linked to this in the notes for one of our earlier shows because there is a... Uh, she starts it and then she, she stops and she starts again and she sings it and then everyone in the parliament sings along and it's just a really powerful moment of just this parliament has reopened after 300 years of yeah I mean it's you kept it you can brilliant. share that with it again it's brilliant yeah. yeah so thanks for playing that that was fantastic <laughs> no yeah. um, so so your early exposure to music then um where did where did you grow up, and then how did how did music? Were you hearing music around the house? I'm asking you two questions at once. Or where did you grow up, <laughs> first of all, and tell me a bit about that. So. Sure. Uh, primarily West Australia, really. So, but before I was six, my family lived in six different places, mm-hmm. moving around for my father's work. Mm-hmm. What what was he working at? He's a mining engineer. Right. So West Australia makes sense. Um, but living there in southwestern Western Australia, so south of Perth regionally and out of town, really, on a... Um, so, not a whole lot of music around the house in my family, I wouldn't say. Probably more the sound of the birds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how many is uh, in your family? I have one brother. He uh. took up the drum kit. So the birds and the sound of him in the drum <laughs> <laughs> in the shed. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so, I took up recorder like every other child in school at grade four um, but really enjoyed what it was and joined the Bunbury Youth Chorale, the local Bunbury Choir at grade five when as soon as as soon as I could get into mm-hmm. that, as soon as I was old enough to get into that and and that was just great so exposed to probably a whole lot of old musicals and um, classic kind of popular sort of things um, which probably included a few Celtic songs right. <laughs> in the mix yeah. with everything else um, but it was well uh, actually I remember I really wanted to learn the clarinet which I was able to do but there's a program in Western Australia called Sims, a school in music system or something like that and at grade five or six you had to do a test and that test consisted of listening to a cassette tape where they played some hideous sounding chords on an old piano and you had to write down as an 11 year old or something how many notes were in the chord and anyway I failed that disastrously and didn't get to take up an instrument in the program but uh, so disappointed for an 11 year old level of disappointment yeah, yeah. I really, yeah. I mean, and I saw a lot of my friends go through the, the program too on flute and trombone and all sorts of things. But the silver lining was that clarinet wasn't on offer in that program. So if I waited until I was in year eight, then I could take up the clarinet at high school. And that's what I was looking forward to Can doing. Can I just ask though, what was it about the clarinet at such a young age in the first place? Like, What, was, what made know. you go clarinet? Yeah, I don't. No. Well, the sound of it, the sound of it. I love the sound of it. Yeah, I love the low, the deep, rich, low register, and I loved the versatility. And I so loved the. Was high. there a certain music that you were hearing around that had clarinet? Because uh, I'm, I'm thinking of me yeah. when I'm young. I can't think of. I don't even know if I'd be able to pick out a clarinet and say, "I like that." 
That's such a good question, Jane. I, I just don't think I have the answer. Yeah. No. Um, but the readiness of it, and curiously that I've then took up the bagpipes mm. when I was a bit mm. older, which is full of reeds, and the concertina, which is also full of reeds. So it's all about the reeds then. <laughs> it's all about sure. reeds. It's all about reeds for me. So obviously I, I've really liked that sound world since but I was But that, that's very interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I might jump in on you there. Uh, that's really interesting that, that because the the, um, the textural difference that comes with um, the forcing of air through a structure. I mean, I, there's something that I always kind of wondered about this with a, with a saxophone. So when you hear a, mm. a, like a saxophone and it's played in that very breathy way and you can really sense that there's a physical transaction going on between the player and the instrument. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, entirely, yeah. Um, in a different way than you would experience necessarily with a with a recorder or a flute, you know, where where the air is flowing through. Do you, do you know what I do? You know what I get it? There's there's um, I guess the, the music the music comes from the obstruction. Mm. Mm, the vibrations that are caused. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the, and I, I don't know. There's something about that that's always kind of fascinated me as a as a sort of. I don't know. Like well, uh, reed instruments, like for example, the bagpipes, are incredibly ancient. Uh, so are sort of simple flutes and things too, or singing even, which is again um, the mechanism of wind passing over or through a, an airway or windway and yeah. vibrating vocal cords, which essentially is kind of like a reed mm. instrument in a strange sort of way. Um, but yeah, I think it's been a, a really uh, a curiosity of human beings for such a long time, this, this idea of vibrating uh, a natural material like a reed uh, through a reservoir, a resonator, to create sound or music, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, am I right in thinking that reeds are um, pretty um, temperamental when it comes to humidity? Yes. See, this is a thought I had a while ago too. It is, it, I wonder why such reedy instruments come from areas with high precipitation and high humidity, highlands. Like when I think of that kind of music, I often think of, well, I'm thinking of a very mossy Scottish <laughs> hill of, and it's same weather as Ireland. It's dreary and it's wet and reeds are the one instrument or one part of an instrument that just really doesn't don't like that kind of weather. <laughs> well, bagpipes are not particular to Scotland and Ireland. There's actually most cultures of the world have their own version of yeah, bagpipes right. or some kind of reed instrument. I guess in the modern day we do associate bagpipes quite directly with Scotland and maybe Ireland too. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, uh, so much of Europe and Asian countries, uh, it, it's really, really widespread. So it's not particular to areas of high humidity. Of and it's to do with what's available locally. So in my pipes that I'm playing today, I'm running reeds that are made locally from a plant called elder and which was harvested in Castlemaine just an hour up the road um potentially those reeds may be a little bit more accustomed to here this australian climate because they're grown and sourced from here but still really um it's so variable and you use what you've got and i think that that kind of combination of what you were saying dominic with that fascination of the reed sound um, draws you to just want to create sound with yeah. it regardless of the precipitation level yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it shows my ignorance and i'm kind of going yeah well, bagpipe scottish obviously the reeds why it's why? wet yeah it's wet yeah but i i i, I, I 
yeah never mind I, I, I sat then thinking about the banjo and the, and the head and how that moves and how when it's a rainy day and it, anyway it doesn't matter. I can't find the I can't <laughs> find the analogy to go back and make it towards the reeds okay each instrument is a pain in the bum essentially it has its quirks um, so 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 as you're kind of developing a sense do you do you you know when you're 12 13 14 yeah and you start to play the clarinet and you're working on that, do you have a sense then that as well as having an affinity for um, for the instrument that you, like is there, a, is there a time when you kind of go, oh, I'm actually quite good at this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like were you, were you confident, I guess I'm what I'm getting at, is like were you confident as a youngster that, you, you know? Um, yeah, such a curious question and I think I always, and maybe still, have this uh well the thing is that when you go through school you're always getting tested on things yeah so you're always getting told how good or bad you are at everything and so there's always an external locus of sense of that success mm -hmm. thing and um well when you take a test and and you don't get a great mark or when you go for the scholarship exam and, and somebody else gets it instead those are kind of feedback mechanisms and, and that was certainly case for me I, I wasn't knowing that I was really enjoying music um, but I could see that I wasn't as so-called successful at it as some of my peers in the traditional sense of what that meant but um, on the other hand I I was loving being part of the concert band and part of the choirs and part of the lunchtime ensembles and and things like that so it was that participation side of things and it was the playing with others and the, the mixing of my sounds with their sounds which I was really getting a, a, a nice feedback about mm -hmm. I guess and curiously I can see now that that's really transferred into what I do now as an adult is really very much about the community element of making music rather than perhaps the technical element of making music which I guess technique is what you get judged on and what you can kind of achieve a success in more likely well, I did I did compete in the local of Stedford and and it was chuffed to kind of do quite okay at that once mm -hmm. but it wasn't like a regular I wasn't a competitive musician in that way so I wasn't constantly getting medals and things mm -hmm. like that for it but um, the success for me was in something like performing at the I don't know some of nice event and being able to um, deliver music to that environment and and have that enhance the vibe of the day i guess that was probably maybe my measure of success more so than did i play that scale correctly right yeah yeah um i guess uh i'd say a big turning point in terms of be going from being a school musician to being an adult musician was in year 10 when a friend said oh, there's this recorder um, gathering up, coming up. Would you like to come with me? And so I was like, yep, okay, sure, I'll go, go to that and give that a try. So it was held in Katanning, which is in the depths of the wheat belt there in Western Australia. And it was put on by the Western Australian Recorder and Early Music Society. Anyway, I turn up there as a, ten, a year 10 student, 16-year-old, and I just such opened my eyes to really what music making is far more broadly than anything I'd been able to experience at school 
uh, with adults and teens and children, a real village environment there. And people were making music that wasn't just about exercises or um, what you should do because the teacher told you. It was actually people really owning and loving this music. And I think that was off, off the back of the early music revival, which came through in the 60s, 70s or so. So it's still really going strong here in Australia in the, in the 90s, 2000s. Um, and how old were you at this point when you when you went there to that? Yeah, my first one was I was sixteen. Right. And so we were up till midnight or later playing sonatas in the front room, or sackbutt concerts off the landing, or all sorts of. It was medieval Renaissance and Baroque music, so what you call early music, um, music by Bach and before. Um, and it just it really opened my eyes and ears and mind to what being involved in community and music making and using my recorder in a really useful and broader way could look like. It's interesting because there's quite a few people have mentioned to us that they would come from a classical background and going into the folk music was what opened up the, the notion of community for them. Yeah. But what you're talking about is finding that community in, um, in this, the- this other this other series of styles of music. Yeah, right? which you could call the classical world because that's focusing in on music of the Baroque Renaissance yeah. and before, mm. so that kind of gets categorised as classical music. Right. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess for me I found my... Well, I was finding my community in, in the school, but that's got a short shelf life. Like, that doesn't last forever. The school music scene, you, you, you have to graduate after year 12 and <laughs> then it's gone. Um, but this... Uh, early music scene which uh, had the trimmings of the folk scene I suppose right. in that it was fun and inclusive and all of that but with the genre of classical or Baroque and before mm-hmm. um, yeah and is that is that playing is that still playing from the page just about yeah yeah, okay. yeah for sure yeah. yeah yeah and so do you fancy doing a, a recorder piece for us would that be hmm, is there something that it doesn't have to be um, super early <laughs> or um, contextually accurate <laughs> in terms of what we've just been talking about. <laughs> okay, so um, just for the benefit of, of listeners, you're, you're warming up the recorder by tucking it under your shirt and just kind of... So um, what kind of recorder is this? So this is called a treble recorder, an alto recorder, that's its size, uh, also known as an F recorder, I suppose. And the brand is Mollenhauer, I just got it earlier this year, so it's still pretty new. And it's um, probably twice the size of a normal school recorder that people might be familiar with, right? It's, 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 fair, it's a fair size, right? Uh, it's probably, um, yeah, mm, not quite double. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have to ask more questions around. So, what Dom said about Sarah warming up the recorder is true. What What's happening? What 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 are you going? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why am I doing it? Um. So, I'm warming up the instrument to bring it to body temperature, and the reason for that is because when there's a difference, as in when it's colder than me or my breath, there'll be condensation will form on the inside. And with this instrument, at least, it can form reasonably quickly, actually. And that can just 
interrupt right. what what's being played. It's just less comfortable, and it's um, yeah. Does that happen with the whistle? It does. Yes, it does. I never see you with your whistle up your jumper. Well, it, it does happen though. It does, uh, um, especially with um, especially with wooden ones. I think, yeah, right. I think rather than uh, I don't know, like the, your sort of generic generation ones with the plastic, um, the plastic <laughs> mouthpieces, they're they're fairly forgiving. But I find with with my whistle that definitely. It, it so what starts. happens if you get a little bit carried away and you you skip this, you skip this point part? What what can happen? Uh, well, you start to get a bit of moisture clog up in the, f- in particularly in the head joint. Um, it it will the sound of it becomes very muffled. Right. Um, it can start to um, you can start to feel it through the thumb hole. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, uh, yeah. Get, the, yeah. The moisture actually yeah, no. comes through after a while. Um, Hopefully that's enough. I do remember as a sort of this is a slight, slight tangent, but I do remember seeing um, when I was a kid seeing uh, a teacher at our school playing the clarinet, and I think this was like a, this was like a, a moment of a, a loss of innocence for me or something because I, <laughs> I saw this teacher who I'd always really mar- admired, and he, he was playing the clarinet, and at one point there was this huge. <laughs> Cream of spit came out of the bottom of it onto the floor. <laughs> like it was, it was ridiculous. It was like it was like he kind of tipped. He tipped it just in a particular way. Mm. And mm. Were, I mean, no, he may have been a particularly excessive <laughs> salivator when he was playing. But I remember seeing it and just being like, I, I, I don't know. It was like I don't know. It's like the it stayed in there. The first time you see see your dad naked or something, you know, you're like, ah, what, what's going on? You know. Anyway, do you need to lie down? Moving on. Just <laughs> a little bit further. So, okay. uh, so what do you reckon, Sarah? Should we give it a go? Let's have a try. I should know the name of that tune. What's the name of that tune? It's called Green Sleeves. It was composed by King Henry VIII, but I think it's more commonly known today as the Mr. Whippy song. I thought it was having some um, Pavlovian um, celebration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had his urge to so run Henry in and say, Henry Mom, <laughs> Mom, <laughs> I need money, Mom, Mom, I want some money. <laughs> Can I have 50p? Want to get a 99? <laughs> With a flake. <laughs> No, Henry VIII will do that for you. Yeah, he will. Yeah. 
<laughs> so then, do you want to then tell us about your involvement with Boxwood? Because we've, we've kind of come through to you growing as a as a player, as a, as a folk player, and where you're at right now. So, is Boxwood a good place to jump in there, or do you want to tell me where? Like, where where where, where should I go next, or where should we go next? Yeah, why not? So, um, at this point, I'm still back in Perth before I've moved to Melbourne via Sydney, but that's all good. Um, because Boxwood is a, uh, well, it's an organisation that's based in Canada and the US, and they run, or it runs um, uh, festivals, multi-day immersion programs, I guess, um, that are focusing in on what you'd call folk music, or the roots, I suppose, of folk music. So, what I, one thing I really like about being a piper is that I feel like I'm part of a long journey that's continuing and has been going on for a long, long time since. This one instrument, only nine notes, but it still seems to hold its interest over so many centuries. Um, I, I, it, it's it's curious, I, I kind of like it, but at folk festivals, for example, people will be announcing their tunes that they're going to play and they say, oh yeah, this one's hundreds of years old, oh, maybe it's about 400 years old. And you're like, hang on. So if it's 400 years old, that means it was around in the 1600s. And you're like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm what I, uh, quite interested in is actually about what do we really mean by the age of this timeless entity that we call folk music? Because nothing's actually timeless or nothing actually started from nowhere or mm. from always things have actually got a history but yeah um but what what boxwood likes to explore is um the the roots i guess and the seeds and and where this folk music's really coming from and um so it likes to look at the intersection of what was happening at um in in broader musical terms alongside the folk music tradition for mm. example yeah. but not just looking back but also looking at now and celebrating what's happening now and it's a, it's a teaching and learning course where you can go and learn different instruments and um, it's also all about looking forward into the future as well so composing new tunes and a next generation and, and, and nurturing the, the folk music scene as it might be um, worldwide I suppose I'm largely talking about Celtic but Boxwood does like to draw in on other allied folk music traditions as well so Scandinavian or perhaps continental Europe or certainly American Canadian and um, now to New Zealand and Australia yeah, as great. well so in 2010 I went on holiday over to Canada and went to Boxwood course which was just amazing it was all my things that I was into all in the one place a recorder <laughs> small pipes uh, set dancing sessions um, nice food and nice people and yeah. <laughs> a nice location and um, had a really really interesting time not just interesting probably um, again uh, maybe some kind of a chapter turner, I mm-hmm. suppose, just because of that immersion that you get sunk into. It's, you, did yeah. you know what you were getting into before you went there, or was it a bit of a, a chance when you, when you when you went to your first? I'd heard of it. There's a couple of Melbourne players who'd been over before, and mm-hmm. so I'd I'd heard of it. Yeah, 
yeah, I was pretty excited to go, but I didn't really know what I was getting into. Yeah. And can you articulate then what, what it was that, I mean, you, you mentioned the immersion there. So what happens in that? Well, immersion? you get very exhausted. You stay up late every day. <laughs> And you go to classes and workshops every day with some amazing players and teachers that are drawn together from across the whole, uh, well, when I say across the world, I mean, you know, Ireland, Scotland, England, Americas. Um, and so you're, you're sitting there and you're learning tunes from them orally every day. Uh, in the afternoon, it's more of a choice kind of based thing, so a discussion topic or dancing or ensemble practice or... Uh, Kaylee's at night time, there's concerts at night time. When I was there, they staged the first, I think the first, only first, I think first Scottish opera. Scotland's not known for producing operas. It's usually more left to Italy and France and Germany. But um, there was a Baroque opera staged yeah. the year I was there, so got to see that. And it was, it was really curious, particularly that one there, it was really taking Scottish, what you might call folk songs or folk melodies, tunes, and putting them into an opera format. And I'd never really experienced or known that something like that folk opera existed. Or even though it's actually super common, like Purcell used a lot of folk tunes in his, or composed things that sounded folky in his operas too. Yeah, and um, Beethoven used a few Scottish, he published some Scottish melodies. Oh, his Symphony No. 6 is full of, yeah, for example, his Hebrides. Um, I thought to mix the two would be a folk pra. Folk pra? (laughs) Nice one, Darren. (laughs) All right, I'll get my coat. So so that's really interesting. So, um, um, aside from the exhaustion. Yeah. did you, um, when you reflected on on that after you mm. after it had finished, mm. did you feel? How did you feel changed by it? Uh, not that I could have articulated it at the time, but I think it 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 brought together for me all these threads of a musician that I was up until then and kind of put them in the one pot and stirred them around and they came out as one rather than as individual threads. Perhaps yeah. something like that. Yeah. That sounds pretty <laughs> profound. It, it does a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> did, you, did you have a sense of, of the, um, the separation before going in? Did you feel they kind of occupied different parts within you that, and it wasn't holistic before going in? To some extent, anyway. Yeah, I guess probably not that I could have articulated, though, mm. I suppose, yeah. But certainly on the on the other side coming out, you felt mm-hmm. more fully formed as a, as a player. Well, looking back on it now, maybe, yeah. Because, of course, it's interesting with the Great Highland Bagpipe, like the pipe band scene, you don't think of yourself at all as a f- playing folk music when you're playing pipe band stuff. You think of yourself as a more of a marching band or as a community service activity. Mm. Um, or a, a little bit more on the military side or something, if anything, rather than yeah, folk music. Yeah. So I guess that was one identity factor that I had was as a piper uh, and, and not really considering that that was at all connected to a long, long, long history of being 
a piper in the sense of a communicator or a town crier or um, a carrier of, of news and information, which is certainly one task or role that the pipers have had through history. Um, just You just think of yourself as you just go to band practice and you have to just do yeah. what the pipe major says and you have to be there on time and you have to wear the kilt and make sure your socks are the right length and that kind of thing. Um, so I guess that was one and I by now I was enjoying doing set dancing which I'd taken up Irish style set dancing and perhaps some Scottish uh, style um, country country style Scottish dancing so that was another element of what I was doing but and then playing whistle in sessions and and enjoying my recorder background with that medieval renaissance and baroque background so I yeah I guess and, and also, obviously yeah, turned something singing in you too. choirs too. It obviously grabbed something in you too because you, you felt a need to to do to replicate or to to try and do yeah. something with that here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a huge that part speaks of for itself, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Because that's that community bit you mentioned mm. earlier on. I think, like, if mm. we go back to earlier on when mm. you were mentioning around validation at school and yeah, that's interesting how you've kind of come around to an, a similar motif uh-huh. with that. Yeah, for sure. So, I'm what, what, what I might, I'm, I maybe I'm presuming, but did you come back thinking I want to do that here, or was there a different story? I, I, n- n- not really. Just at that point, I don't think. Although there was some discussion that oh, this stuff could really fit in quite nicely down at Port Ferry Spring Music Festival mm-hmm. or Spring. Port, maybe Port Ferry Folk Music Festival otherwise. Spring Music Festival is in October it's more of a classical style or classical music based festival that takes place in Port Ferry. Port Ferry is basically the festival town of Victoria yeah. <laughs> every genre has its um, has its festival yeah. in Port Ferry because it's so well set up and suited for that uh, so there was some discussion about um, maybe trialling that because Boxwood at that time was already running in New Zealand annually right. as its own version of its own little thing happening in New Zealand as well. So it seems like, oh, well, it's not that much of a jump over the ditch to come and do something in Australia. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I attended the New Zealand one there in 2014 that this idea of, hey, wouldn't it be cool to set up some something similar? And it was at a similar t- time to when... Campus be down, so music under the Southern Cross, which is another popular music camp that's been running for 20 years, had its final iteration at the same time, and so it seemed to almost be a natural segue for mm. other opportunities to open themselves, which has been the case. String Mania has begun, and Quasi Trad has begun, and Boxwood has begun um, since Campus be finished up. Yeah, right. So, and what way yeah. do you run your um, your camp? Like what's the format? So Boxwood is held in Queenscliff, which is on the Bellarine Peninsula in Victoria. The reason I chose Queenscliff was because I felt that it was similar to the vibe that I'd experienced in Lunenburg in Canada, where the main Canadian version is held. Again, it's a historic town. It's a shipbuilding industry. It's a seaside fisherman's kind of area. And it's got a lovely vibe. It's a really nice place to to spend a bit of time there. And so I started researching Queenscliff by taking some trips down and meeting some people and checking out venues and got a really nice response from it 
initially, especially from the Maritime Museum, and they came on board to partner as a concert venue. And we used that for the first two years, in 2015 and 16. So it was really nice. It felt a nice welcome from the town. Yeah. And it just feels like a, a good synergy there to be able to bring some uh, maritime music or some um, related folk music into the town. I guess in a way also to complement Queenscliff Music Festival mm-hmm. that does happen there and ha- is quite established for 25 or more years. No, mm. far more. Yeah, many years now. And is when you're at the Australian version of Boxwood, is that a week or is that a weekend or a long weekend? It's three nights. Yeah, okay. Goes over four days. And it's centred in, like it's a, it's centred in one building where you've got accommodation, so you've got sessions and workshops and everything all in one place. Yeah, there's a lodge there called Whitehall Lodge, which yeah. is a group accommodation place. So quite nice there's lots of rooms and people can have a bit of private time if they need to but there's also central rooms and then we also use some nearby venues around the town so the local uh, churches and halls yeah yeah actually we we, we met at the one last year myself and dominic yeah. found out well we've just started to talk about irish music and, and found out we live in the same area and, and we found out there was this this thing called boxwood hadn't i never heard of it because mm. both of us were fairly new mm. Um, it was a, a lovely little venue. We weren't sure we were going to the right place because it, it feels so family. It, feel, it feels yeah, really yeah. like I was walking into a well-established share house. So that's on again this year. Oh, well, sorry, next year in 2020. What weekend is that on? That's right. It's coming up. So Thursday, the 27th of February through to Sunday, the 1st of March. No, and for anyone that's interested, where should they... Uh, on www.boxwood.org slash Australia and registrations are open at the moment and we'll be offering streams for flute, violin, whistle, small pipes, harp and song. Wow, big Mm. program. Including a Saturday night concert, just designing a very special Friday night activity including a a bit of a history walk of town which should be really cookie and fun yeah, nice. mm-hmm. and uh, sessions and meals and all sorts yep. Lovely. we have enough time for one more and your choice what you'd like to, to play on you've still got a selection of instruments there mm. I haven't even touched the concertina yet but there is a, a tune that I would quite like to play on recorder by O'Carolyn the blind harper who travelled around Ireland in the late 16 early 1700s okay. it's mm-hmm. called Fairy Queen Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. No, pleasure. Really enjoyed it.
Sarah Wade. Thank you, Sarah, for taking the time to chat with us. That was really great. And um, just a quick note, there is actually a couple of things happening this weekend that we wanted to tell you about. The first is that there's a session at the Sir Charles Hotham Hotel in Geelong. That's a monthly session and it's happening this Saturday and starts at two. There's a slow session to start with. And then from about three on, things pick up and by five o'clock, it's gone at 100 mile an hour. So it's really uh, worth sticking your head in the door if you're around Geelong. And on Sunday from three o'clock at the last jar in Melbourne, there's a concert by Trouble in the Kitchen, which will then run into their regular Sunday evening tune session. Trouble in the Kitchen features two of our former guests, Kate Burke and Edo Barker, and they're a very high energy, really brilliant tunes band. So um, if you fancy giving your Sunday afternoon a kick in the pants, get along there. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll see you there. Uh, and that's it next week Darren will be back and all will be well with the world so thanks for listening and thanks again Sarah Wade Hi my name is Rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you